You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM program Reflections. Uh time just now is 7:32. Uh iftar today is going to be at 9:15 quarter past 9. Uh 7th of May, Thursday, 13th of Ramadan, 14th for some. Uh you are listening to Reflections program with your host Zubair Akram and I have with me my guest Sheikh Rizwan. Assalamu alaikum Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are we today? Alhamdulillah. 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 So I think we're going to go straight into Surah Kahf's uh, ayahs today. Um, to be honest, it's the favorite part of Surah Kahf for me. Uh, I've been waiting for this uh, portion to arrive so that we can have a, a rather engaging, quite uh, a different type of conversation uh, with Sheikh. Um, these questions I've had for decades as a child um growing up reading surah kahf uh, on the story of musa and khizr so uh, inshallah it'll be uh, uh, i think it promises to be an uh, an engaging conversation let's hear the ayahs and look at the translation those of you who are uh, uh, following this program on iSyllabus uh, website or Facebook live if you're listening to Radio Ramadan you can follow us on Facebook live or iSyllabus website for this program reflections 7:30 every day till iftar and on 16th inshallah it will be from 8 pm as the day goes longer so let's uh, hear the ayahs of today بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم In the name of Allah the absolutely merciful the especially merciful وإذ قال موسى لفتاه لا أبرح حتى أبلغ مجمع البحرين أو أمضي حقبا And when Moses said to his boy servant I will not give up until I reach the junction of the two seas or I spend years and years in traveling. But when they reached the junction of the two seas they forgot their fish and it took its way through the sea as in a tunnel. فَلَمَّا جَاوَزَا قَالَ لِفَتَاهُ آتِنَا غَدَاءَنَا لَقَدْ لَقِينَا مِنْ سَفَرِنَا هَذَا نَصَبًا So when they had passed further on, Moses said to his boy servant, Bring us our morning meal. Truly we have suffered much fatigue in this journey of ours. قَالَ أَرَأَيْتَ إِذْ أَوَيْنَا إِلَى الصَّخْرَةِ فَإِنِّي نَسِيتُ الْحُوتَ وَمَا أَنْسَانِيهُ إِلَّا الشَّيْطَانُ أَنْ أَذْكُرَهُ وَاتَّخَذَ سَبِيلَهُ فِي الْبَحْرِ عَجَبًا He said, Do you remember when we betook ourselves to the rock? I indeed forgot the fish. None but Satan made me forget to remember it. It took its course into the sea in a strange way. 
قال ذلك ما كنا نبغ فارتدا على آثارهما قصصا Moses said, That is what we have been seeking. So they went back, retracing their footsteps. Then they found one of our servants, unto whom we had bestowed mercy from us, and whom we had taught knowledge from us. قال له موسى هل اتبعك على تعلمني مما علمت رشدا Moses said to him May I follow you so that you teach me something of that knowledge which you have been taught قال انك لن تستطيع معي صبرا He said Verily, you will not be able to have patience with me. And how can you have patience about a thing which you know not? Moses said, If Allah will, you will find me patient, and I will not disobey you in anything. He said, Then if you follow me, ask me not about anything till I myself mention it to you. So they both proceeded till when they embarked the ship, he scuttled it. Moses said, Have you scuttled it in order to drown its people? Verily, you have committed an evil thing. قال ألم أقل إنك لن تستطيع معي صبرا خضر said Did I not tell you that you would not be able to have patience with me? قال لا تآخذني بما نسيت ولا ترهقني من أمري عسرا Moses said Call me not to account for what I forgot and be not hard upon me for my affair so these were um, we, we haven't completed the story uh, we have uh, just uh, uh, stopped at ayah number 67 uh, 67 I think 77 um, the story finishes at ayah number 82 But I think we'll be covering about this much today, inshallah. So, Sheikh, <laughs> yes, uh, today's ayahs, um, straight into uh, the, the story of Musa, salam, he arrives at a place and the events happen. Yeah. I just want to hear the story from you. From the, the story of the Prophet Musa, salam, salam. how it starts. Um, 
so how does it start? This the story of the starting of the the um, this specific um, story of the Prophet Musa is is related to. I think it actually doesn't mention it in the Quran here, in that sense. But it's mentioned in narrations what actually happens. This situation takes place um, towards the later part of the Prophet Musa life. This is after having been. Um, Saved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And he is the head of Bani Israel He is the prophet of Bani Israel um, and, uh, you know, He is undivided in his um, attention He's receiving from Bani Israel And, and I think they, they in that process Question him about who is the most knowledgeable And he, 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 he implies to state That he is the most knowledgeable hmm. On earth, so this comes obviously at the end of his life, which is the experience of um, being, you know, given by his mother to the house of Pharaoh and being raised up and having, um, you know, great blessings from Allah in his protection that he was given. And the whole story is well known of why the Prophet Musa was abandoned um, or left by his mother. Um, even though she followed him and, and 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 from a distance she had to care for him um what happens is he's brought up and he has this um sense of justice which is overpowering which leads to him being exiled and running away from pharaoh and then coming to his, his senses again and then being spoken to and chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to lead the children of Israel out of slavery and and um and um, you know oppression. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مُوسَى بِآيَاتِنَا أَنْ أَخْرِجْ قَوْمَكَ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَامِ اللَّهِ." So this is Surah, I think Surah Ibrahim. Allah says, and remind people about the story of Ibrahim when we gave him clear signs to take people, his people, out of darkness into into light, which mm-hmm. was the oppression into freedom. وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَامِ اللَّهِ and remind the people of the great days of joy that they had so this comes at the end of this 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 um situation where he expresses his knowledge expresses his ability um is something that's not obviously nothing's unnoticed to Allah but this specifically uh, does not go unnoticed in terms of a response because everything is noticed but in terms of a response we see that Allah um will then seek to raise up the station of the Prophet Musa and to show him despite the greatness that he had achieved mm-hmm. as being one of the great prophets Rasul, one of the great core group of prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala despite being of that nature and being of one of the prophets on, on, in, in the celestial heavens and, and having vast sections of the Quran revealed about him and concerning him and about his, his, his tribe Bani Israel there is a need to um, elevate. So um, you could see it from the perspective of discipline, or you could see it from the perspective of, of elevate, because Allah is wanting and desiring that the Prophet Musa also recognizes something, so he grows in knowledge. So this is much later. Rabbi inni lima anzalta min khayri faqir is also Hadad Musa al-Islam. Yes, that's, that's to do with the... That's when he's exiled after having, um, you know, caused the death of 
of um, one of the the, the commanders of um, Fir'aun. Okay, so that's that was Egypt from yeah, there. Yes, so after that point, he's fleeing, and then he's he rests under a a tree, and he makes his famous du'a: "Oh Allah, I am." In, in need intensely of whatever you have as a faqir, I'm in const- I mean, in complete, um, you know, um, abandonment of what I have, and there's nothing that I have, but I expect great from you, and I'm in need of that. So it's almost like a du'a, which is um, a request that is certain to happen. So it's almost as if um, he knows something will come. Mm. He's also expressing that he's a faqir. And there's a perfect kind of balance of the du'a here. That is at the beginning. This is before he is, he is, um, he goes back and co- and takes but at his that people. point. He knows he's a prophet. At this point, he is. I mean, there's in Ibn Kathir. He has a different kind of, um, you know, qisas al-anbiya. They kind of differ upon what at what point he actually was given um, prophecy. Mm. What we understand is that he had, like the Prophet Ali and all prophets before receiving the. The, the, the prophecy in terms of a formal prophecy, they were like the prophesied him would worship God. He would, he would hear the, the the voice of stones proclaiming his his prophethood, or they would, you know, he would be upon Tawheed and he would speak to Allah. So, what do you think he was doing? He used to seek worship of God, and the Prophet Musa is of a similar state. But most scholars say that the, the, the revelation came. During that point, when he went into the guardianship of um, the family he, he married into, but this is at the end. This is his maturity. This is when he. You can imagine you would claim that you are you are the most knowledgeable mm. because you've done so, so much. Yeah, you've managed to take a, a whole group of people who were the people that received revelation and prophethood. You've taken them out of slavehood. So the, 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 the tribes that came out of the Prophet Yaqub and Yusuf and, and Ismail and Ishaq, these kind of... Prophet Musa he, he, he claimed that he's more knowledgeable, not in Qur'an here. No, it's not in the Qur'an. This is narrations yeah. that come from Ibn Abbas and from his students. So this is the backdrop to this. Why is he sent to this? We've not even touched what, what's said in the Qur'an here. Yeah. But this is... A necessary preamble, which is he's ulul azam. He is he is at the height of of his splendor as a prophet. He has earned the title of ulul azam because he's taken them out of um, slavehood against Fir'aun, who's who's the you know in terms of worldly leaders, he <coughs> is the he's the kind of mirror of iblis, like in terms of arrogance, haughtiness. This is a great enemy, and so if, in, in the Quran, if you ever want to provide the metaphor for the, the, the archetypal enemy of God as a, as a human being is Fir'aun, hmm. Pharaonic. So we even use in English. Uh, and if you want to, you know, if, Mus- if Muslim activists want to undermine somebody, they will call him the Fir'aun of this, of this um, age. Era, yeah. So, uh, you know, this was something that the Prophet used to um, kind of make mention of many times and it's in the Quran very clearly that Fir'aun and Musa are the, this is a great battle between truth and falsehood mm. so in the in the Prophet's life there's never that kind of clear contrast between individuals because all the individuals he he had that deep um, kind of conflict with passed away very early mm. so you have people like 
Abu Sufyan, you have people like Suhail ibn Amr, you have people you know, of that nature who ended up becoming Muslims. Yeah. Like Abu Sufyan became Muslim. Um, Suhail ibn Amr, he was the famous person that um, mocked the Muslims during Hudaybiyah. And even though he was intelligent and, he, and the Prophet could see that he was a, an intelligent person or a good person, but he still felt the need to tell the Prophet, do not write Messenger of God. Hmm. You know, I don't accept that you're Messenger of God, so why write it? Bismillah, what's this? Hmm. We don't accept this. Bismillah, Allahum, say that. So he insisted on, on the conditions in, in Hudaybiyah as he, as he had, but they weren't these archetypal black and white contrast enemies. Hmm. And that's part of the nature of the Prophet that he was given such a leeway in terms of um, changing people, that he was this compassion to mankind and humanity and for all the, all the, all the universes. And therefore his enemies were malleable and even the great enemies that were before that, they were, at certain points they came close. Hmm. You know, Walid al-Mughira, these kind of people of earliest to see period. There was times when they were almost about to turn into um, that, that convert who would change the face of Mecca, but they didn't. But, hmm. you know, Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab were kind of Anomalies because they were close in terms of parentage to the Prophet in terms of you know the lineage and in terms of the family. Um, so what's interesting about this story is that this comes during the mature period of the Prophet Musa was some a period when Allah is really wanting to honor. I believe honor the Prophet Musa by showing him. You know, one of the ways you can honor a person is to show them their real station, and so they can then work to better themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you know, you imagine a, a wrestler or a boxer or a sports person who thinks you know they're they're running for a country and they're beating everybody. Now, would it be a favor to take them into the Olympics and sh- and show them some people that are much better than them? It would be because that means that they have to raise their standard, and now they realize the, their own shortcomings, and therefore they seek to improve. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you notice in in the story is that the Prophet Musa will accept the command of God to seek out a person who's more knowledgeable through a very interesting ruse, which is like a kind of, uh, a kind of, um, a, a, some, a setup which will take place in such an amazing, interesting way that it will teach the Prophet Musa exactly what he knows by just giving him a short insight into another realm of existence that he has totally ignored. So when he said, I'm the most knowledgeable of, of, of you all, he had, he had missed the fact that, you know, what you see is, you can have knowledge of that, but, and you can also have knowledge of what God tells you, hmm. because he was given the, the, the suhuf, he was yeah. given the Torah. So he's thinking, Who's, it's me, because I'm teaching you all this. But unfortunately, he, he and it's not unfortunate, actually, it's, he was true in what he said, he's the most knowledgeable. So therefore, it is a mistake to say that he was, he was disciplined by God or... Um, Criticized by God, mm-hmm. because on the face of it, he was. But the, well, so this well, is why, you know, when we start in this discussion, it's important to know the characters. Yeah, what, what, so, I'm, what I'm hearing is that he his claim for knowledge, mm-hmm. and yet yes for knowledge, mm-hmm. he, uh, yet a uh, more yes for knowledge. He he wanted more. He wanted to learn more. Yeah, he wanted to learn because he was obedient to God. One of the things but he did not want. Is to that. learn about something he did not know, which is the other realm. Mm-hmm. 
he, he just wanted to be with a person who was a person of knowledge see it's not this it's i think it's more that he, what he said was i am the most cognizant and knowledgeable of you all and what he said was true because he's talking about the outward revelation he's talking about what he's been given his ability to explain it that was exactly what he was saying now the moment he was told that you need to go on a journey the journey will allow you to meet somebody who will show you that what you said was incorrect he's intrigued and he also you could imagine i mean this is we're 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 surmising this and and imagining this he was probably um in a situation where he wanted to find out what this was mm. and he would then you know quench himself in terms of his desire for something but also quell this sense of being that person that knows everything mm-hmm. so it was almost as if he wanted to seek out and then he was happy to learn but you can imagine still thinking that he did know and what happens is through the story unfolding and this and the sequence of the events taking place you see that he still has this idea that i still know better so the thing that he's taught is patience upon his lack of knowledge so he's essentially his his lesson is to have patience on this knowledge which is partial whereas he isn't is in the company of somebody whose knowledge is not complete but is more complete than his because essentially if you take and this comes up in narrations if you take the knowledge of Khidr and the prophet Musa it's like a, not even a drop in the ocean of knowledge of God mm. so this is what's so fascinating about the story is you will t- see two human you will see two human minds at work one blessed with internal esoteric hidden knowledge which is directly from God about the nature of things the wisdom behind things and the hidden you can imagine the hidden mechanism behind why things take place and the prophet Musa alayhi salatu wasam who's somebody who is essentially saying well this is what the facts say this is what we see and so you'll find such a fascinating discussion about what which type of knowledge is, is the one that we should be taking in this age so ready ramadan reflections uh, on 13th day of ramadan 7th of may time for iftar today is going to be at 9:15 to kujaman kuja reflections uh, time just now is 2 minutes past 8 shaf reflections of sheikh rizwan mohammed um sura kahf sura kahf sheikh uh, what i've been thinking uh, in this ad break is uh, the, the theme that strikes me uh, that, that comes out is coming to terms with this part of knowledge that we don't know much about mm-hmm. right from the first story to the second and now the third story and even the tension or the struggle of Musa alayhi salam is saying I'm knowledgeable mm-hmm. he is knowledgeable he is prophet of uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, he still wants to learn more and yet he's oblivious to the third dimension mm-hmm. even though he's a prophet he gets ilham mm-hmm. but yet even the prophet is not fully equipped with that part of knowledge Mm-hmm. which is going to be revealed in the story. Mm-hmm. And my my kind of uh, question is that it, it, it is obviously so important for us to know that what we see is not all. 
what we see is not everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to believe in a lot of which we don't know, but it's not for certain. It's it's nothing absolute. Mm-hmm. How do we go about learning and believing in the events? Mm-hmm. Not uh, okay. Uh, knowledge of unseen, Allah exists. We don't know. We we haven't seen uh, akhirah, mm-hmm. all those things, mm-hmm. but not that the knowledge of our life events. Mm-hmm. How a life unfolds with unknown. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, the the thing here is that there's obviously, as you mentioned, there's two kind of spheres of unseen things or or, or things whose um, reasons or causality we don't completely understand. The most obvious and the one that's based upon that's, that is the base of our faith is the belief in the unseen, such as angels, such as jinn, such as um, you know, things that are mentioned but could not have been if God had created things in a different way. God could have created without having paradise or hellfire, could have created without law and arsh and qalam. All these things, are we believe in them as they are. And in fact, in Islamic um, creed, the things that you believe in, these are always described as things made of light, like the angels, like the law, which is the the tablet, al-qalam, which is the, the pen which writes, and the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the stool of God. All these things are unseen and unintelligible unless you have it established by a very strong source of information such as the Qur'an or the prophetic traditions that are well established. Those are things that we are told to believe because we are, we're told they exist. But things like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we can be Imam Maturidi says that this is something that should be instilled within the human mind by nature that we should be able to understand the design and the intelligent form of creation and the balance and the and the simple idea that things don't come out of nothing that everything that has a beginning um, you know has a cause and the cause of the world is God God brought everything into being those are unseen things that are not part of our discussion. What's part of our discussion is the second sphere. The second sphere is the things that we see and touch, we perceive and we interact with. But they leave us confused yeah. as to the wisdom, as to the purpose, as to the point. You know, what's the point? Mm. So if you have, say, bushfires. And within the bushfires you have wildlife dying, for example. You will say, what's the point? And in, in philosophy they have this kind of idea of different types of violence or different types of evil or different types of pain. And this would be gratuitous, which means that it serves no purpose. And so we always come to, I mean, this if you speak to a normal person in your workplace and you speak to them about divine wisdom or even not divine wisdom just the wisdom of creation and the balance of creation and the perfection of creation they will say which perfection you know we just had covid so where's the where's the where's the where's the balance in creation when you've got this um disease transferring from one animal species to another then then jumping to humans mm. uh, where's the wisdom in that where's the wisdom in that being um something that doesn't differentiate between bad people and good people so good people get it, bad people get it. Here's this age-old question of, 
um, why people mm-hmm. are punished for something mm-hmm. that they haven't done. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it always as the poorer part suffer, of the world gets punish, suf- yeah, we'll suffering? Punish. We say suffer. Why are they suffering? Because punish entails that you know there's a punisher. Yeah, okay. So like True. an atheist would, would make the mistake, which you've just kind of jumped into, which is they, they blame God for the suffering. Yeah. And so that means you blame, believe, believe in God. Yeah. So there's a trip that atheists always make, which is they're so hell-bent on, hell-bent, <laughs> figure of speech. They're so, you know, they're so hell-bent on disproving God that they are angry with God to the point that he must exist that you're so angry with him. If he's not, then just just move on. You know, just you know, as if you're kind of stopped at a traffic light which doesn't exist. You know, yeah. Essentially, atheists are these you know kind of um, right wing or left wing atheists that are fr- virulent in their in their hate of Islam or even Christianity. It's, the metaphor of them is a person driving down a road, stopping, and imagining there's a red light. And there's no red light, and they're waiting for the red light to change to green, and they're doing the horn. And you go past them, you say, excuse me, what are you doing? And they say, well, the red light's not moving. They say, there's no red light. And so essentially, the, the problems that people have with suffering and, 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 and pain is one of their enmity towards God in the first place. Mm. So their lack of, um, not lack of belief, but lack of trust in the fact that God is sovereign, is, has complete power and authority. That is the area where you know, this story will become very interesting because the Prophet Musa will say, based upon what we know, based upon the statistics, based upon the observations, based upon human feeling, based upon the laws of good and bad, even in the religious text, this is impermissible, immoral, unjustified, so therefore I'm going to question you and argue with you. So essentially what will happen is the Prophet Musa will be put in a situation where he finds this individual who will mm-hmm. be the Prophet Khidr salam. He will have to submit to him because God has said you will find a person at a specific place who when you meet him, you have to submit to him. And when he meets him, he will say, I want to learn from you, from what you've been given out of rushd, what you've been given out of guidance and so pr- prior to them meeting uh, Khidr salam, uh, the, the, the other person is jo- Joshua? Joshua. Joshua. In English, Joshua, Yusha. Um, uh, in, in English, is is the prophet Joshua in, Joshua in the Old Testament, and he's young at this time. He's almost like the um, this. He's a servant here, but he's also like the apprentice, and and he's a prophet. And not not at this point. He's I mean yeah, prophet. Yeah. So are, these two people, these two characters, uh, uh, Musa alayhi salam mm-hmm. with another prophet to be, mm-hmm. who's a servant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's different in Islam in the Islamic tradition. We kind of we don't have a certainty over that, but in the, in the Old Testament, is Joshua is mm-hmm. a Joshua is a is a prophet, and he's a, under the service of a prophet, and he is. Um, and they come to this point, yes, where a cooked fish mm-hmm. in a dish mm-hmm. now becomes alive. And a cooked dish, sorry, in a fish. <laughs> That's quite no. I just noticed that you you're rhyming your words. Cooked <laughs> fish in a dish. <laughs> Cooked fish in a flip dish. So it, <laughs> it gets into water again. That's. I mean, if you, this is going to be narratives that flesh out the Quranic text. This. I mean, the Quran doesn't specifically mention things in that way, but this is what's interesting. 
this story is embellished, obviously by narrations that fill in. And the interesting thing about this is, from what, from what, I, from my, what I recollect, I may be wrong actually, this is not a story that's in the, um, in the Old Testament. This is a, this is a, you know, most stories that you have in the Quran have parallels in the Old Testament. Different, but they're parallels. But yet, yet the story, Prophet ﷺ was accused that mm. he copied and pasted because there were very similar uh, narrations of this story. Mm. Of this, particularly this story, there are narrations which are quite similar. I mean, from my memory, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking that this is not a narrative that is in the the Old Testament, the, the, the meeting of the Prophet Khidr and the Prophet Musa. No, the the yes, yeah, there is, there is from what I've read. Okay, so the the, the so the, I'm I'm just obviously the, the junction where they meet, uh-huh. uh, which is probably in Sudan. Okay. Is so I'm not read. I'm not read. I'm just. I'm yeah, going by the Quranic text here. Yeah. So is it mentioned in the Old Testament? I don't know. So that's what I'm saying. So all I'm saying is, for my recollection, this story is strange, different because this is a story, and I'll check it inshallah tonight. I mean, this is a story that hasn't got a parallel with the famous stories of the exile from Egypt, the, um, the saving of the of the of of, of the Bani Israel from the Pharaoh, the parting of the seas. The story of Yusuf, you know, the story of all the all these prophets, Prophet Ibrahim, those all have parallels clearly, and so you can copy and 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 you know take details. Mm-hmm. And this generally in Islamic literature, you have Qisas al Anbiya, which is basically stories about the prophets, which are generally from the Quranic text as a skeleton, but filled in with flesh from the biblical sources. So what's interesting about this is that. It's interesting from the, you just mentioned it, the perspective of the questions, the question, this chapter came out of three questions. Mm. This, 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 this chapter, the inception of this chapter is from the three questions that were asked by the rabbis, which is one of which, which the people of the cave. The people of the cave is a story of Christians after the coming of Christ in the Prophet Isa alayhi salatu um, This story is about their prophet. Mm. But it's not in their lit- it's not in their scripture it's not in their literature, and mm. the last one is essentially not about you know somebody who's recognized depending on who you consider Dul Qarnain to be not somebody who is considered to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting, as a side actually, the three stories are related to non prophets, like the central characters, mm-hmm. like the central pivotal piece of attention in the first story is. Um, Ashab al-Kahf Which are not prophets Okay And then the central piece of inform- interest In the, sto- the story of Khidr and Musa Is a person who people argue about Whether he's a prophet Or whether he is elevated to the point That he is hovering between Having a station of a prophet Or a messenger or not But is it not the case with Khidr al-Islam as well? No, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Khidr yeah, the prophet. I say prophet Khidr because most scholars said no, we have to put him into a category. Mm. But you know that is not a done thing. Yeah, because it's almost as if you're you're saying he's teaching, and he is given prophecies and knowledge from God, but it's almost as if he is hovering between stations and given 
a prerogative and, 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 and freedom to roam, to teach. And this is why the Prophet Khidr becomes um, almost like a, a, a kind of parable of a timeless, the timeless teacher. Mm. So this so is. I, I'm, I'm allowed to hold the belief that he was a wali. No, he obviously is a wali. Is just a um, a man of God. Yeah, meaning he, he mean, wasn't a prophet. Yeah, yeli, which is you know yeli, the verb means to be close. This means the person is close to God, go to, close to God's um, protection, go, go close to God's uh, attention as well. And so you can say that, mm. but the, the, the purpose, we'll look at this later, is the purpose of the Prophet. Again, there we go. Khidr, alayhi salatu wasalam, there you go again. <laughs> Do you understand? It's inbuilt to say Prophet. Mm-hmm. We don't say radiyallahu anhu, because awliya, one of the things that you know, um, is a convention in Islam is that if you're talking about a Prophet, you say alayhi salam. And if it's the Prophet, you say sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If it's a companion, you say radiyallahu anhu. And... After that, you can extend radiallahu anhu to other people if people know they're, they're not a companion. Mm. And that's how we, the convention is. So here we would, say, we would usually say to differentiate a prophet from a, a pious person, we would say about him radiallahu anhu. Mm. But we don't, alayhi salam, because, because of the special nature of him, because he's teaching a prophet. So the companions never taught prophets. Mm-hmm. They were never in a situation the, Any companion of any prophet Never taught the prophet But here you have A person who The prophet Musa Is sent to To be taught mm-hmm. And so The prophet Here we go again <laughs> So it is It's a question The point I'm making is He's not a prophet But then you say the prophet Khidr uh, There you go So it's interesting That he is so unique That you are Falling into A way of thinking about Him That doesn't give him justice because he is timeless. Um, the Prophet Khidr in, in Islamic spirituality appears not restricted to time. Because essentially the word Khidr means the evergreen. Khudrin in Arabic. You know, Allah describes the, the, the paradise and luscious um, gardens of paradise. Khudrin as this kind of luscious greenness. And he is Khidr which is the evergreen, the ever-vibrant, the ever-youthful. And this is why he pops up as the initiator into many spiritual paths, many paths towards illumination. In fact, you know, you've watched, I know you're watching Ertugul. Um, you know, Ertugul said to have learnt from Ibn Arabi. Ibn Arabi was said to have been initiated into the spiritual path by Khidr Ali Salatu Wasam. He mentioned it himself in, in a number yep. of his books. Even though he had numerous teachers, um, Ibn Arabi had he has a, he's a catalogue of books uh, in which he just enumerates all of his teachers from his youth all the way to the end of his life. So the Prophet Khidr Ali Salatu Wasam is one of those people that is, I mean, this is jumping thousands of years mm. to meet. And so, you know, there's a whole discussion which might come to later, which is. You know, the existence of Khidr, is he alive? Um, and what's the nature of his existence? And what's the purpose of his existence? And you can have a teacher in a person who's not alive. You can like, have, sorry? You can have a teacher in a person who's not alive when, when you're living. Like Iqbal always says his teacher, his murshid was Rumi. Right. So he, he calls him the murshid. And he said, 
Iqbal claims that I, my bed is with Rumi. Okay. Malona Rum. Malona Rumi, yes. Malona Jaladin Rum. Yes. So uh, his iktisab, his... Um, yeah, his spiritual nourishment and his... Um, it's is, um, from Malona connection. Oh, okay. I mean, Ibn Masood radiallahu anhu said that he just he was talking about following and, and taking a path from people. He said, um, do not follow the living because they're not free of affliction or tribulation or test. Like if you follow somebody blindly who's alive, the person you're following, unless it's a prophet, is always open to tribulation, temptation, sin, you know, all these things. And he said, فَإِن كَانَ لَابُدْ فَإِتْبَاعُ الْمَيِّتِ He said, if you have no choice, then follow a person who's dead. Mm. Because it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, di- they've died and they- we know their life. And so, you know, there is a point to be made for, you know, a balance in following li- people that are living and not to be... Infatuated with people that are living, so it's very important that you know my almost all my all my teachers. In fact, one of the things that I noticed about them they were very they were very um, they weren't concerned, but they were very good at dampening the kind of religious fervor around them to the point that people just felt they were normal. Mm. So to the point that there was no um, big entourage, there was no. Um, big hoo-ha and they just came they sat you don't even notice who they were and that was like a constant um, quality that they had that you would you would have to actually ask who the person where, where this where this person was so one of my teachers Sheikh Adib Kallas rahmatullah Ali, um, you know he somebody came from all the way from Tunisia to meet him because mm-hmm. he was a he was a master of aqidah he was a, you know I still remember my classes with him on you know aqidah nasafiyah before that I studied fiqh al-akbar with him you know he had this mastery of of something so complicated, just telling, explaining to, explaining it to you in a way that you didn't even notice he explained it, but he explained it. And because I think interesting is I, I studied, um, you know, it's a side point. Fikul Akbar, I studied with him in 1999, um, and I studied the book again with Sheikh Hassan Hassan Al Qari, who was a lecturer in Islamic theology at the university. So mm-hmm. Sheikh Adib didn't have. I don't think he gained his primary school education certificate. Okay, because he had to. He was busy. He his family was poor, and he had to work as a kallas. Kallas is a plasterer. Okay, so he Adib al kallas is basically Adib the plasterer. Okay. <laughs> you know, like these titles of Hanji Muhtaram Sheikh Al Islam Janab, you know, and then Hazrat you're back Hazrat ten Hazrat years Hazrat later, Hazrat and Hazrat. you're thinking, oh, okay, it's Zaid. You're talking about you're talking about Zaid. So. That's that. I mean, that's funny because he he was poor, so he used to plaster and he used to have what he was studying. He would write it under his his hat, and while he's plastering, in between he would take the paper and read it and memorize and put it back. Mm. So he would study while he was plastering. So he went through and he got to the point where people, I know, university lecturers in mathematics went to him to get tuition. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Okay. And the interesting thing is. He used to teach as aqidah. Um, you know, I studied with him fiqh al-akbar. Then in, in the final year when I was studying, we studied um, aqidah nasafiyah with him. And what was interesting about from the beginning, that was like eight years between the first lesson and the last lessons. Um, the way he explained things was that he would 
we would read it and we were thinking, oh my goodness, right, we better pay attention here because this is, I have no idea, reading, reading and trying to think what's happening. And then he, he comes, he reads, and the next thing you know, we're past that section and we've understood it. Mm. You know, like it's, um, like we were like big, you know, we used to prepare our lessons in, in our, the old days, people prepared lessons. And so we would prepare and we would think, okay, this is just too difficult. And we would start, and by the time he's got to the end of the lesson, we've realized we've passed the section, and we've actually had no problem. But he explained it in such a simple way that it was like drinking water, just like having a glass of water. Yeah. And that, was, um, that wasn't that was to do with some karama, that was, I think, it was a karama, but it was also um, discipline and, and um, I think, intense knowledge. So, yeah. When someone's good at something, it, they make it look easy. So what you have to do now is remind me why am I talking about this? Have <laughs> <laughs> you any idea? Because I'm, I was, I'm, this point I'm making is nothing related to what I was going to say because it's to do with uh, the the knowledge of another uh-huh. realm. And yes, yeah, Hassan Al Qari. So Sheikh Adib Kalas used to teach us these things, and we were just like drinking water. And Sheikh Hassan Al Qari was a professor of Islamic creed, and he would, you know, he would show he's a professor of Islamic creed, hmm. big imama. He'd actually been to Tablighi Jamaat. He was a Syrian scholar, but he, he started like, you know, like big jubba and all the rest of it. So you could tell like sitting and mashallah, very big. So he used to go to his house to study um, Fiqh al-Akbar, um, you know, after my classes during the day. And it was a completely different thing. When he was explaining, he would be sweating, mm. trying to explain. And sometimes he would say, okay, we'll do it next week. Allah Akbar. But that was like the shahadat he had the he had the university he had the secondary school degree, university degree, master's degree, PhD. Now he's a lecturer, professor in his Islamic what, what creed. Here? What huh? are we saying? No, no, I'm just saying that you know I would benefit in different ways because he got all the footnotes. He would do all this research. You could tell he prepared so much for a lesson. So th- this section of the story. Is but the point is about But the point is there is this kind of. Striking contrast. contrast in the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not like one's not teaching um, spirituality and one's teaching mechanics. They're both teaching the same thing. Aqidah. Aqidah, the same book. No, it's, no, it's a different it, it's book. It's a source and the same book. And in fact, Fikr Akbar. No, no, so, Akbar, source of acquiring the knowledge is uh-huh. what matters. So the Fikr Akbar is not a difficult book. Aqidah Nasafiyah is a difficult book to the point that in our fifth year, the teacher that was assigned to teach it gave up. Mm. Like we had like six lessons And then the seventh lesson The the principal came in and said Oh he's he's re- not resigned But he's kind of He decided to give it to somebody else mm. It's too much, too difficult <laughs> mm. But he would like teach it Like he was just like You know Like he'd put in Yabni Yeah my son just do this And you know Oh no the reason I was making I was talking about him was His um, Adib Kalas Was his His humility uh, and what happened is somebody came all the way from Tunisia to meet him because he was a great scholar of Aqidah and Fiqh and Hanafi Fiqh as well. So he came to the college and he asked the doorman, he wants to meet Adib Kallas and he's told that he lectures here. And Adib, Sheikh Adib was leaving at that time and he said, oh, call that person, he'll tell you. And so this this, this student, he was actually a sheikh from Tunisia, he went, he got caught up with Sheikh Adib who was leaving and he said, oh, the doorman told me that you can tell him where Sheikh Adib is. And he says, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going that way, and so it's a long way. It's like forty fifty minutes in bus. Okay. So they took him on these um, 
the kind of uh, people carriers, not people carriers, you know the kind of the 14, 15 seater thing you jump in and you get. So all the way up and he and on the way he's buying stuff for himself, takes him and he says, okay, we're just going up. And he takes him to his house, sits down and he, and he goes, okay, uh, so what do you want? <laughs> but on the way he's basically served him. He's kind of got him fruits and a drink and all the way. And then he said, okay, so what do you want? And he didn't realize it was Sheikh Adib was taking him to see himself. To Sheikh Adib. So he didn't want to meet him in the street. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to have the conversation in the street and let the man go away. He took him all the way to his house. And he knew if he said, let's go to our house, he would, he would say, no, no, I don't want to put you under a difficult situation. And so the, my point was, you don't notice. You, no one noticed. Like he wouldn't have this whole fanfare over the fact that, that this is who this person is. Um, which still takes me back to why I'm talking about this. Which is probably something to do with um, the Prophet Khidr. Which is that he is he is humble to the point that he's not pointing towards anything. He's just asking for the fact that the Prophet Musa will come under his under his wing and learn from what God has given him. So welcome back to Reflections um, with Sheikh Razwan Muhammad, uh, Radio Ramadan eighty seven point seven. You can also uh, join us on our Facebook Live and obviously on uh, uh, th- this particular program is on iSyllabus website as well. Uh, reflections every day from 7.30 to Iftar time. Iftar today is at 9.15 and just before the break we were discussing, uh, we were in conversation trying to explore uh, what would have been the time period uh, in terms of Hazrat Musa Islam's prophethood. Uh, what phase of his life it was when he was faced with this situation where he's he is knowledgeable in his own right he's also seeking more knowledge and which gives me uh, this uh, understanding that having knowledge actually makes you seek more Uh, if you have knowledge you you want to seek more Mm. and then uh, he is given a guide which we know is also a prophet Prophet Khidr at a place where they meet and I want to talk to Sheikh Rizwan about that place uh, where they meet Sheikh, the, the place is a special place mm-hmm. because uh, what happened there or someone's presence make that place a special place mm. well I don't, I don't, we don't know where the place was. The thing is, we don't know. Um, but he was given a sign. Mm-hmm. He said, when when the fish leaves and it goes and finds water, is where he would meet the special person. Okay, so you're you're saying at that time, so at this point we have no idea where yeah, that is yeah. in terms of the, the kind of, it's a guesswork basically if you're going to try and identify where this place was. The place is identified as being Majma al-Bahrain, the place where two water um, sources meet. Some say it means the meeting of salt water, mm. which is the ocean, and then the seawater or the river water, which is which is fresh. Um, that's a sign. We do, we don't know if it if it's in, indicated to be specifically. I, I don't know if it's specifically meant to be special. Um, except for the fact it's mentioned as being mm. the place where they would meet Khidr wasalam. So I think your question is whether that place was special because they met them there, they met the Prophet Khidr, the Prophet Khidr there or not. 
Um, I don't know if that is the case because we're just told it's the place where these two things meet. But what we can say is that the the idea of the place where two things meet is, it becomes a very important concept mm. um, for the story of Khidr and Musa. Mm-hmm. It becomes the, it's almost as if they're meeting at the meet at the meeting place of two water sources, which are completely different: salt and fresh water. Where they come together, they don't mingle, but they come together. And what's kind of the reading of Islamic history of this instance is that it indicates the the contrast and the meeting together of outward information. Um, and you would say outward knowledge as well, and then knowledge of the underlying reasons for things, which is hidden, you would call it esoteric, um, you would even call it probably, but this is stretching it a bit, mystical. It's not mystical, it's real. So the, the real problem with using a word like mystical or spiritual knowledge is it denies the objective reality and truth of the things that the Prophet Khidr talked about. In fact, they're more true more real, more factual, more informative than what the Prophet Musa is talking about. Because when we always talk about they talk about some kind of wishy-washy, spiritual, uh, mystical unveiling that the Prophet Khidr is given, as contrasted with the knowledge and the law and the guidance which the Prophet Musa is given with, that's not the case. The case is that what the Prophet Khidr had was the mechanics of what the Prophet Musa had the underlying mechanisms that explains what the Prophet Musa had was with the Prophet Khidr, which is the big question, why? Why do things happen in certain ways? Why do events take place that we cannot uh, accept, or we find difficult or unpalatable? Mm. Because they seem to be wrong, they seem to be unjust, they seem to be against any concept of wisdom on the part of God, essentially. And so... That question is dealt with in the story of Khidr and Musa salam, And it starts right from the beginning because in this specific section, um, Allah says, إِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِفَتَاهِ So this, إِذْ قَالَ is always like the way that you jump into a completely different realm from what come, comes before this. Because before this, the sections are وَرَبُّكَ الْغَفُورُ رَحْمَةِ That your Lord is غَفُور Which is forgiving, full of mercy. If he was to take you to task for what you have earned, they would certainly have been overtaken quickly by the punishment. That is just a statement. Then Allah says, "Itqala Musa is like jumping to a different frame of reference, a different story, a different type of narrative now. Hmm. So this narrative will be about the Prophet Musa saying to this young servant he has, which we mentioned is, is, is uh, Joshua, La abraha hatta I will not give up hatta abluga until I reach and strive to reach majma al bahraini the place that is the meeting place junction of two seas aw amdi huquba and it was this it's actually interesting because the reason I kind of stayed on ablag is because um it indicates this idea of striving to the utmost Mm-hmm. Like I, I will not stop until I reach that point. Yes, the, or I'm the hukuba, or I will just keep traveling. Mm. And it was I'm going to get there, 
because the reason why that is important to stress because it just seems like just a statement that's saying that he's going behind that has to be a feeling that's pushing him which is he needs to know this person who has no knowledge and unveilings that he's never thought of based on which God has um, allowed to honor him by giving an insight into this different realm of existence so he's so hungry to find out that he is saying to the his traveling companion i will never rest until i get to the junction of the two seas he's been told to get to mm. if i don't i'll spend years traveling and it was i'm not going to give up and then what happens is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says but when they reach the junction of the two seas what's interesting here is it doesn't say they forgot that they've reached it mm-hmm all of a sudden this fish pops up. Yeah. They forgot this, their fish. So if you read this, remember, if you read this and you're thinking, what just happened? Fish. And it took its way through the sea as in a tunnel. So what happens is you're thinking, where's this fish come from and all this. So this is where all the narratives and narrations come up, where you have narrations from Ibn Abbas, mostly from Ibn Abbas about the detail, I think offline, off here you were talking, mentioning narrations about Ibn Abbas about when this took place. Actually, when did it, when you were saying it, when did it take place at the beginning of? Because uh, this yeah. software you were mentioning something about. Ibn Abbas, yeah, uh, it was the beginning of. Uh, yeah, okay, Musa ko ye waqia kab aur kahan pesh aya? Iski koi tasri Quran mein nahi. Lekin ابن عباس سے جو قویتر روایت بخاری اور دوسری کتب حدیث میں سے منقول ہیں وہ اس بیان کی تائید نہیں کرتی حدیث میں اوفی کی ایک روایت ضرور ملتی ہے جس میں ابن عباس کے یہ قول نقل کرتے ہیں کہ یہ واقعہ اس وقت پیش آیا جب فرعون کی ہلاکت کے بعد حضرت موسیٰ نے مصر میں اپنی قوم کو آباد کیا yeah, so this is after the so this narration from ابن عباس from الوفی yeah. that this uh, happened it, it took place when فرعون died Yes, yeah, so this is what I mentioned at the beginning. So I, I mentioned this is towards the end. This is after the saving of of the the Bani Israel and the and the and the and the, and the parting of the seas, mm. and he's been given this honor of being the, the elderly prophet. But the, the narration of Ibn Abbas from Al Ufi is 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 the the the, the lowest tier of narrations from Ibn Abbas, known to be a liar. Al Tiyal Ufi is is Al Tiyal Ufi. He is he he fabricated numerous hadith. He had he had. Uh, Rafidi very strong Rafidi leanings. Rafidis mm. are mm. on the extreme end of. of But then uh, it continues to say, like Ibn Abbas, the jo kavi tar riwayat Bukhari ya dusri kutub hadith se manqul hain, wo is bayan ki taid nahi karti. Or na kisi dusre zariye se ye sabit hota hai ke Firaun ki hilakat ke baad Hazrat Musa kabi Misr mein rahe. Because Quran se tasri se ye bayan hota hai ke Misr se khuruj ke baad inka sara zamana Sina mein guzra. But the thing is, no, I think yes. So what the the, the point I think the author is making, which book, which book is that? Is that at the female Quran? The female Quran. So the author is obviously mentioning Alofi is considered to be one of the weakest narrators of Ibn Abbas's, um, you know, kind of on um, tafsir, to the point that he fabricates lots of things, even outside tafsir. Mm-hmm. He fabricated the famous story that everyone knows about Ibn of Omar radiallahu burying his own daughters alive before in Jahiliya. That's Alofi. Um, fabricated that narration, um, so kind of to give Omar a, a bad kind of, you know, kind of bad press. Mm. But you know, Sinai is basically where we imagine most historical narratives say this is around where this specific event took place, mm-hmm. and it's not 
We're not talking about a, a, a jump in terms of geographical location mm-hmm. to go to where you would. Pres- we presume there was the com- the meeting place of the two. Um, and from this, the author rivers. concludes that mm-hmm. it must have happened at the start of his nabuwa, not the start of his life, start of his nabuwa, because this is a type of event that would happen mm-hmm. at, at anyone's start, because this is what they would need. Uh, a, a, a miracle or um, a show of uh, the third realm. Uh-huh. Uh, but I thought the opposite. Yeah. So yeah. I, the, 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 when you started off, um, I, I saw your face grimacing, and I thought, "Oops, I should have re- checked what I was teaching." Because I, I never, I never kind of look up, um, you know, specifically what we're going going through. Mm. I, it just makes much more sense from the Quranic text that he is. Being given a servant because the whole it makes very little sense that he is of a nature where he is accompanied by a servant on a task by God mm. when he's still to free his his people. It just it doesn't make much sense because his people are asking him. So at what point would he have been able to have the conversation and the audience with his people before they they are saved that he would, you know, be say that he is. The most knowledgeable, but he's, he's challenged. He's challenged uh-huh. uh, in his knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. he's told that you won't be able to do sabr, mm-hmm. uh, but he says no, I will. Mm-hmm. So he's still learning mm-hmm. before he starts to. Yeah, so I mean, the thing the thing about this is, human beings never stop learning. I mean, the the, the nature of the Prophet Musa was that he was. We know that the reason why he was in, in, in fugitive for, for the early part of his life was he was quick to anger, and he, yeah. he ended up causing the death of one of the the guards of, of Pharaoh. That gives me so much consolation that huh? if a prophet can do it, <laughs> I'll, no, no, I'm okay. it, it, it means that everybody's nature is their nature, and they have to then um, review and and deal with that and and that comes up again in the fact that he won't be able to have patience mm. so mm. what's interesting here is they they both reach the quran says falamma balagha both of them reach majma' baynahuma the meeting place between the two seas essentially nasiya they forget their fish the fish just pops up and then what it says is and, and and the fish took its way through the sea as in a tunnel so this is um mentioned that the, the you mentioned the cooked fish, so we don't. I mean, this is in the narratives that it's a cooked fish that all of a sudden became alive and then mm. took its place into the sea. But you don't know for that sure. movement was to indicate. This is why it's really, really intriguing as a story because when they come to the meeting of the two seas, they should know they've come to there, shouldn't they? I mean, they should know this mm. is the meeting of the two. Now, the Prophet Musa is more interested in. Later on in traveling, look, he's so preoccupied that I will I will continue to travel until I meet the 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 the, the meeting place of the two 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 seas, or I will keep walking, keep traveling years and years. Hmm. He's so preoccupied with the travel that he misses the big sign that God has given him, which is that at the at the meeting place of the two seas, you will find the person that will teach you. And then he's so tired in doing that that he then feels hungry. And he wants to fish. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of his journey indicates this lack of, you know, this disciplining by God. Mm. Like he's missed the first, like if he was the most knowledgeable person, how would he forget the, the simple thing he had to remember, which is, 
You know when you get to the meeting place of the two water passages, that's where you'll meet this person. But who, who forgot? Joshua forgot. But the, the Prophet Musa was also aware of this. He was told... Yeah, but who apologized? Joshua apologized. Yes, because you know this is more to do with the fact that, you know, the Prophet... In this whole story, what's happening is the Prophet Musa is, is, is being shown to lack what, we, what he should have known uh. as the leader... Like who's the leader? Like who is more knowledgeable of what they need to do? So what I'm saying is the rhetoric of the Quran is such that it's, it, even before we get to the punchline, which is you cannot the pro, pro, the Prophet Khidr saying you cannot remain with me uh, with in patience. Even before that, you see this humbling of the Prophet Musa. But was he leader? Okay. So the, look at this. So the important thing is, so the, the teaching thing is going to come later. But the Quran in its, in its very special way starts to unpack and humble the personality of the Prophet Musa So before you get to the big thing where everything's okay and then they decide to argue. Mm. Mm, mm. Before that, you know he's going to be in the presence of a master. Mm. Because all of us, you know like, um, imagine it's a boxing match and they're both coming into the ring. Coming into the ring, one's coming in and really smooth. Other person is... You know, coming in, he trips, and then he slips, and then he looks clumsy, and then, you know, then the awe of the person disappears before they've even reached because they become like a laughing stock. Yeah. So, sometimes you can lose some of the the, the aura before the real event takes place, and this is a, a humbling experience for the Prophet Musa Ali Salatu Wasalam. He before he gets there, we see that if he is this knowledgeable person, in charge, leader, then before that you're thinking, okay, when the Prophet Khidr arrives, you're thinking, okay, we know who's in charge. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Do you understand? Oh, chordeh, Shaykh. Chordeh. No, I mean, this, I just no, no, thought no, no. about it. Subhanallah. Mm. I just want to share something with the listeners and mm. share something about reflections with the listeners. You have to imagine you're not here. That every day, every day, there's something that we learn that takes you to almost a state of ecstasy. Um, yesterday, we discovered, do not bury your memories. Don't bend the memories of people who are no more either with you in this world or they are not meeting up. They don't meet with you. Because that's disrespect to the people who are no more with you in person just now. You keep remembering them. But because Prophet ﷺ never forgot Khadija salam, uh, Khadija radiallahu anha. Mm. He never did. He always remembered her. But with a smile, mm. not kind of with sadness. Mm. And that was a moment for me and for many listeners I got feedback from. That how comforting it is to know from this program Reflections how to interact with a loss how to interact with your memory. And that's a prophetic way of doing it. And today, this moment is that before you succeed, before you become the leader of whatever situation that may be, God, as if almost always, trips you up or makes the situation around you in a way that you're humbled. Mm. If you become humble, that is the only way before you succeed. Mm. 
this is only that that's a sure way i i, I can i could just see so many incidents in life mm. so many situations in other people's lives i've seen of my own and i'm sure a lot of listeners will relate to this uh, a lot of viewers will relate to this that if you are going to do something substantial something big something impactful something remarkable be sure that you will be si- faced with a situation of what Musa alayhi salam was faced with of mm. humility of kind of almost being humiliated it is i don't think it's humility it's humbling so that's why i use the word being humbled um humiliation is is is, is, is has a negative connotation so i would use is being humbled meaning that when you're humbled you you accept because humility is a good quality and if you're humbled by something it can be through your own choice and volition and pleasure and your acceptance but Sheikh, let's take this to uh, in, in the final moments of the not final really we have 9:15 as if that uh, time just now is 8:57 and let's take this story of Musa al-Islam into Prophet Sallallahu's life mm. the, this humbling experience mm. that's a hallmark from mm. right from the childhood mm. to Makkah the life in Makkah mm. where there's Amul Huzn when there is uh, Shaibi Abi Talib mm. uh, that event is so <coughs> uh, and then there's Taif that happens mm-hmm. it's i mean you got to be careful in not using the word humiliating mm-hmm. it's no less than that in in eyes of people who would be watching look mm. and this this happens with the beloved see the thing is i would say that um two things one is obviously the the the, the word humiliation is is not within the context of the prophet sallallahu mm. yeah um humbling is also not in the context of the prophet ﷺ because humbling it requires a specific psychological state of mind of the person being humbled um it is at the moment that you you claim something for yourself or you imagine something for yourself which isn't you're not deserving of then god will humble you not humiliate you but humble you meaning will sh- gently show you like he does to the prophet musa here just very very <coughs> you know just in the Ar- arabic i'm talking about the arabic you can imagine in real life how that would be you this is reading the arabic description of it which happens in no language this is just what they're doing so the prophet musa was claiming something and allah is humbling him because you have to be claiming a high state to be humbled down mm. do you understand so the prophet musa is humbled uh, the known is uh, is humbled um the prophet adam is humbled prophets are generally humbled very few prophets are not humbled because they they have some perception or claim which god seeks to rectify and it's not humiliating it's humbling them in other words mm-hmm. it's creating a closer closer connection to allah by showing them the real nature of their connection to god so with the prophet ali sallallahu wasallam there was never a point that i can think of where he his thoughts ran away with him and his his um optimism got to the point that he felt that they were deserving of something and so god humbled him do you understand mm. so it was like you're running away with your ideas and feelings and success and victory and 
celebrations, and then all of a sudden you're brought down. It's like a, a balloon deflating. Oh. The Prophet warned them from going. The Prophet warned the the companions. How would we explain Shaykh Abi Talib? Shaykh Abi exactly that. The Prophet never, um, and that's at the weakest point in the Prophet's life, where he never claimed anything that he was given that difficulty. A trial is a tribulation, it's a difficulty, it's a musibah, but not as a result of what he did. He, at no point before Shaykh Abi Talib, you know, which is the two years of. Um, a kind of seclusion and, and expulsion from Meccan society Socially, economically In all ways you can imagine That was not a response by God To something the Prophet did hmm. you know, The closest you could you could come to it was It would be um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to think of an example Even that you could provide as being a plausible Situation where the Prophet was humbled it, uh, Meaning, I will tell you, I'll tell you, you know tomorrow what, what it is, and then the, uh, the revelation never comes, and then he has to say, "Inshallah." So, yeah. So this is this is something I, I mentioned at the um, at, remember I mentioned when we talked about this. Yeah. Do not say, say anything that you're going to do that you will do it tomorrow, and, and except that you say, Inshallah. "God wills." Mm-hmm. So that was, as I mentioned, that was that deep, and that was you know you can look back at what was mentioned about that. And that's what's expected, you know. We talked about that there, so you can look at that there. We know have no example in the seerah where the Prophet is claiming something out of an expectation of something, out of haughtiness, where he needs to be humbled. So, so, so it's like the Prophet needed to be hum, um, given humility, hmm. because this happens right at the beginning of seerah. It's like um, there's a famous hadith of Imam Tabarani, which the, an angel was sent to the Prophet and it said that, O Muhammad, you've been given the choice of being a prophet, um, servant messenger, or a king messenger. Hmm. And the angel Jibreel said to the Prophet, Muhammad. O Muhammad, be show humility in front of God. It was, this is like a test. This is like the point where if he chose to be the king prophet, you could imagine that the humbling would be plausible in a parallel universe. Like mm-hmm. the humbling would have been plausible if you have the trappings of wealth, the trappings of, of, of the world, you have power, you have influence, and you use it in a worldly sense, which is what kings do, which is what emperors and presidents and prime ministers do. But the Prophet, at the inception of that, when it could have happened, he was advised by the angel Jibra'il, in accordance with actually his own constituency and his, his own character, that he would be a servant prophet. So the plausibility of him being humble didn't exist. So mm. everything in which the Prophet has a downturn or a downfall is a, a result of God elevating the Prophet mm. mm. This is why Imam Busiri says, That you will continue to be elevated and, and jump in ranks in the eyes of God until you reach which has never been reached. And will never be attempted to be sought by anybody. Hmm. So how do you get that elevation unless the Prophet was never in a situation where he elevated himself falsely so that God brought him down by humbling him? It never happened. The opposite is the case. He humbled himself so much that God elevated him. And this is essentially, when you read the stories of prophets, you see that this is one quality that no other prophet really had. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
you know, the Prophet Yusuf, even even despite his humility and his, you know, worship of God and his obedience to Allah, at least in the manifestation of it, he at the end of the story is elevated on a on a pedestal with his mother and father and his brothers prostrating to him. The story of Musa, the lesson for me. The, the lesson is what Abu Yusuf radiallahu anhu said, the, the student of Abu Hanifa, he said, I never entered into a place seeking to be the best of them, the most knowledge of them, knowledgeable of them, or the most elevated of them, except that God let, made me leave that, that, that sitting or that, that, that place being the most humbled and humiliated. Mm-hmm. And I never entered a place feeling myself to be the, the least of them and the most... Um, dire in the need of God's mercy except that I left it being the most elevated of them and so it's essentially just not the story of Khidr I'm talking about just the first couple of lines we spoke about the lesson very clearly is you sell yourself you know under your value when it relates to religion when it goes to your profession goes to your CV you know you know, brag, brag away. Mm, mm. Do you understand? I'm the best programmer. I've got this yep, yep, qualification. Yep. Essentially, if you're true, then people should know about it to employ you so you do good for people. Mm. You're a good employee or you're a good project manager, whatever it is. You need to tell people what you are. You know, God said that as for the blessings of your Lord, then tell people about them. But from your religious perspective, make out to be, not. don't make it out because that's arrogance. Just... Um, n- not dwell on the fact what you have, like how many khatams of Quran you've done, how many people you've fed, how many, you know, all that between you and God. Unless you're in a specific state where you're encouraging, or you are advising or seeking advice for something, that's different. That's a that's a real lesson just from the first couple of verses about the real benefit of humility that God humbles a prophet of God even before he is. He's 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 down in the in the in the book to be humbled by the Prophet Khidr. Even before he gets there, he's humbled. So then, when you come to meet the Prophet Khidr, then you, no listener is going to think that Khidr is the least of them. Mm-hmm. So then, all of a sudden, all eyes on Khidr, all attention on Khidr. Why is he so special? He's a sitting, as we'll see. He's just sitting at this place where the the two seas meet waiting for his disciple who claimed that he was the most knowledgeable. And that's humbling. That is extremely humbling. That he's, no, he's got no profile. Now think about it. You know, two speakers, one's got a massive profile, Facebook following, etc. etc. The other person's just a, a Joe Blogs. Yeah. Just sitting there. They have a discussion and everyone thinks, who's this person? Yes. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. But the, the point here is, we have no information about this person. But because you don't need information because his knowledge is milladunni. Yes. Is God given. So essentially, if, you, if, you, if I told you who he was, you're doing a disservice to the fact that his knowledge is directly from God. He represents God's knowledge. Very important God's concept wisdom. that we would be discussing, and this is the, the thread of this surah, this part of this, the, the surah anyway, milladunni, mm-hmm. the ilm ladunni. Mm-hmm. Uh, where what part of knowledge we acquire and what is given. Mm-hmm. 
and that's the main crux of this part of the story. Yeah, the, st- the story of the uh, Prophet Khidr and the, the Prophet Musa Alayhi is essentially about the the comparison, the cost comparison between these two types of knowledge, the quality of it, mm. the eff- effect of it, the efficacy, the the power of each of these two knowledge directly from God, and knowledge from the books that we read and the memorization that we do, and the information that we that we place in order to make knowledge. So information is just dots. When you place it in order, that's knowledge. That's still nothing compared to knowledge from God. There comes a point in life that a lot of knowledge is given to you. Mm. And it's not actually read or acquired. I mean, is there a point in life? Some, a point in some people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's not as if everyone's going to go through that process. I mean, the opposite obviously actually happens where what you ordered in your mind disappears. Yeah. Yeah, and then you start listening to conspiracy term. theories and you start losing any sense of your own respect to your own intellect. So it can happen the other way. Most people go more stupid as they get older. Yeah. They become more irrational. And so, ilm ladunni is, you know, we call creme de la creme. This is the best of the best type of, of things we can know. So essentially it's knowledge. But we didn't learn it. We're given it directly by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's wisdom. Allahu Akbar. So reflections. Um, time just now is almost 10 minutes past 9. Iftar is at 9.15. Tomorrow in reflections is going to be our charity drive uh, where we'll be asking our listeners to uh, donate generously for Radio Ramadan's charity. So we will have Sheikh Ridwan, but not on um, uh, usual streams, probably just on the radio tomorrow. So up until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. I'll leave you with this uh, beautiful track and then Gems of Wisdom, followed by Adhan at 9.15. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 